And when you add up all that energy that was released, it, it is equivalent to something on the order of 21 megaton nuclear explosion, just huge. Yeah. So about a thousand yeah. Hiroshima explosions. February 6th at 4.17 a.m. local time, southern to central Turkey and northern to western Syria experienced a 7.8 magnitude earthquake that lasted 80 seconds. On the same day in the late afternoon, another 7.5 magnitude earthquake hit. This quake is one of the largest earthquakes that both Turkey and Syria have had in over 80 years. Here in Santa Cruz, our clocks were at around 9 p.m. on February 7th, when many students and locals, specifically Turkish and Syrian students, heard about the quake. While time has passed since the quake, the impact remains for the countries of Turkey and Syria, as well as for our Turkish and Syrian communities in Santa Cruz, who have friends and family about 7,000 miles away. At the time of this episode was recorded, the following 6.4 magnitude earthquake that struck on February 20th in one of the most impacted areas had not happened yet. So we do not cover that earthquake. We do discuss why the earthquakes or the first series of earthquakes did happen in that area. This is Jennifer Woods-Lacast with a special two-part interview series with Dr. Thorin Lay, who helps dive deeper into the earthquakes. But to start off, um, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Professor Thorn Lay. I'm in the Earth and Planetary Science Department, and I've been teaching at UCSC since um, 1990. I've been in residence. And throughout the, those many years, my main research and teaching has been related to the field of seismology, which is a field of geophysics that studies ground shaking, uh, ground shaking produced by earthquakes or by volcanic eruptions or impacts or explosions. Whenever there's a large earthquake somewhere around the world, then my research group has analyzed signals from it to try to quantify what has happened, what, what happened at the source, what type of faulting was involved or explosion or, or volcanic eruption, whatever the process landslide. So we use computer modeling of seismic recordings from around the world in that type of analysis. So that's what I do. Dr. Lay conducts seismological research here at UC Santa Cruz Seismology Laboratory, which overall includes world experts on earthquakes, mantle structure, subduction zones, tsunamis, and exploration imaging. Dr. Lay and the seismology lab are some of the world's leaders in seismology and our understanding of, of Earth's most unpredictable and inevitable natural disaster, earthquakes. Here, he has offered his expertise with Sughast and myself to talk about the basics of the Turkey-Syria earthquakes that occurred on February 6th 7th. This will be a two-part series, so tune in to learn what happened with the specifics of the seismology, why it happened, his reaction as a seismologist to the quakes, 
and how you can better understand not just this quake, but future earthquakes in California and around the world. First question I had was, why did the earthquake happen in Turkey, Syria, and what makes it particularly vulnerable to earthquakes? Yeah, well, unfortunately, Turkey is surrounded by faults. The country is on a, a chunk of the Earth's crust called the Anatolian Plate that's being squeezed between the Arabian Plate, which is moving north, pushing against Eurasia, and the Anatolian Plate has broken off and it's being squeezed kind of westward out into the Mediterranean. So it's a big chunk, chunk of crust that's trying to escape from the converging uh, Saudi Arabia plate uh, and, and Asia. And that means that there's faults or surfaces between the plates, which when they are pushing together or sliding past each other, produce earthquakes. So you got earthquakes all across northern Turkey on one plate boundary called the Anatolian Fault, and you got many faults that kind of connect up in southern Turkey, where the Arabian Plate is pushing against it. And so the the country is racked with earthquakes all around. It's very vulnerable yeah. to it. So it's also not a country that has tremendous quality of construction, and it has has high population density. So it yeah. exposes a lot of people to the potential for shaking that could damage structures. And it's really the damaging collapse of structures that kills people. Um, so that, that makes Northern Syria and Turkey very vulnerable to large events uh, as a result of the plate motions, which are occurring very naturally over long times. From my understanding, there was one initial 7.8 and then another 7.5. So could you explain like the first one in like energy and force and then there was like the second? Would that be an aftershock or just separate earthquake? Yeah, it's such a big event. It is an aftershock. Mm -hmm. and, and they're actually on different faults in that are trending kind of east-west or northeastward in southern Turkey. So on one side is the Arabian plate and the other side is the Anatolian plate. They're, they're shearing, but, but there's fracture on multiple faults. So 7.8 was really on the, the boundary, the collision zone between the Arabian plate and the Anatolian plate. And the, that trends off toward the northeast, toward the eastern part of Turkey and on to Georgia and Armenia or, uh, along that direction. So the 7.8 was um, several faults were involved in it, but the total rupture length mm -hmm. is perhaps 300 kilometers. Three, um, um, you know, when you put all the segments together, it adds up to about that. And it's rupturing down 10 or 15 kilometers into the crust over that entire length. So it's a huge area of the contact surface between these big blocks of rock, which are shifting relative to one another. And it slipped as much as seven meters of, and sort of patchy along the, the, the plate boundary there. It's called the southern branch mm -hmm. of the East Anatolian Fault. And when you add up all that energy that was released, it, it 
is equivalent to something on the order of 21 megaton nuclear explosion, just huge. Yeah. So about a thousand yeah. Hiroshima explosions. That's how much energy is yeah. It doesn't happen all in a microsecond like a nuclear. Mm -hmm. It's distributed over this big fault contact between the rock masses. And it, the energy is derived from the, before the earthquake, the fault is stuck by friction, but the plates are mm -hmm. moving. And so it's kind of on the edge and it's, it's dragging the rock back because friction keeps it from sliding. And you kind of load up the rock with a little bit of deformation that over time accumulates up to the point where you overcome friction. And then you have a sudden catching up of the rock material right adjacent to the fault. It slides as much as it can to release the accumulated strain energy on the rock. And that's where all that energy comes from. It's distributed very widely. The, yeah. That size earthquake, a 7.8, is very similar to what we've had in California in 1906, the San Francisco earthquake, uh, which ruptured to within 10 kilometers of Santa Cruz, the biggest fault near near to our town. They, they estimate that had about a 7.8 magnitude, 7.8 or 7.9. It ruptured you know, all the way uh, up to Cape Mendocino. And, and that um, was preceded in 1857 by a, a very similar size earthquake that ruptured from Parkfield all the way to San Bernardino. And those events are comparable in style of faulting. They're kind of horizontal shearing, in this case, between the North American plate and the Pacific plate. Um, and there are multiple branches that are other faults that intersect the San Andreas. It's kind of similar to the situation in Turkey, where the 7.5 aftershock happened on a, a different fault, sort of an east-west trending yeah. fault north of the, the primary plate boundary fault. And that was, again, a very big event. It's probably somewhat mm -hmm. bigger than 7.5 by the quantitative modeling that's being done now. It's probably 7.7 .7 or 7.8 as well. So when you have two events, large events that are of similar size, that, that's a bit unusual for an earthquake sequence. Typically, you'll have mm -hmm. a, the biggest event will be uh, a full magnitude unit or factor of 10 bigger than the next, uh, the largest aftershock. But in this case, they're very comparable. And uh, the word we use to describe pairs of events like that that are in close spatial and temporal proximity is doublet. So we say this is a doublet event, two events. Clearly, the first one triggered the second one. There is stress interaction, but mm -hmm. the, they, both faults had been loaded up by hundreds of years of accumulating plate motion, causing deformation of rock, resisted by friction that suddenly was overcome in both faults. So that, that, unfortunately, when you have a, a doublet, the second event is then shaking already damaged buildings from the first and it's shaking them hard. And, and so you really accentuated the damage in Southern Turkey by having the second event happen so quickly after the first one. And you, you could see it in the videos coming out of Turkey that people are out in the street and they're just trying to recover and they're filming and then buildings are falling down around them. Yeah. That was all after the, mm -hmm. the first event. So it's uh, made it a particularly difficult and damaging sequence of events. Uh, and of course, there were many hundreds or thousands of smaller events occurring that, you know, if you're trapped in a building, that that's also, you know, can be very deadly. So it's uh, been a, a very difficult sequence. 
And the, the fault extends down through southern Turkey into Syria and joins up into the system of, of faults that come up from Israel called the Dead Sea Transformer. That doesn't appear to have had significant slip in it, but that to the south, there's a lot of concern about uh, future large earthquakes on that fault that go goes down through Lebanon into Israel. So the, it was like kind of, I'm understanding, right? Like chain of events, the doublet, and something that's not common really to see in earthquakes. Yeah, the doublet, mm -hmm. the very first paper I wrote in seismology was on large earthquake doublets. So they they, they have occurred, but it's it's probably one in 10 events that have that, that kind of character, un, unusually large aftershock. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it does, you know, it's still an aftershock. It's an event that the second event was induced by the stress and vibrations from the first event. But the um, it's, the word is used to emphasize that it was a particularly large aftershock in this case. Tune in soon for part two of this series as Dr. Thorne Lay and I explore the seismological details of the initial Turkey-Syria earthquakes. This has been Jennifer with the Division of Student Affairs and Success, SLUCAST.